episode 17 of the Chalk Dust Podcast, where teachers talk about their experiences in the classroom. Because once the dust settles, every teacher has a story to tell. This is Kirby Alexander, your host, and today I'm talking with Ali Castellano, a first grade teacher in Fort Worth, Texas. I met Allie in 2012, my first year at TCU, when she was a first-year student. A few years later, Allie worked for me as a teaching assistant when she was a graduate student. From the very beginning, I knew Allie was going to be one of those teachers who made a huge impact in her students' lives, and she has surpassed my expectations. I can't wait to talk with her about teaching and learning. So let's get started. Hey, well, Allie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great to catch up with you. It's been a really long time uh, since we've talked, and uh, I can't wait to hear about how things have been going the last uh, four years since you started teaching. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you today. Excellent. Well, hey, let's jump on in. Uh, So I guess, first of all, just uh, tell me what you've been up to since you left the College of Education. You know, where are you teaching? How long have you been teaching? Uh, What grade, subjects, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, I um, went through the accelerated master's program. And then after that, I got a job teaching in Fort Worth ISD at a school named JT Stevens. Mm -hmm. I teach first grade in an applied learning program. And this is my fourth year teaching first grade in that program. And I have loved it. Oh, that's great. And so uh, speaking of that applied learning program, tell, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, how does this approach differ from um, the traditional forms of teaching? And, you know, just if I were to, you know, live the day in the life of a teacher doing the applied learning approach, you know, what would I see? So the applied learning approach is a very student-based application-based philosophy of education. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of student independence, a lot of student choice, a lot of accountability on the part of the students. The teacher plays a little bit more of a facilitator role. And it it sort of runs parallel to um, project-based learning. Except that in project-based learning, the teacher brings up a problem and the kids come up with a solution. Whereas in applied learning, the teacher is always listening for problems that the kids bring up. Interesting. So it's a lot of teaching them to identify problems and always be on the lookout for how can I make this better? And then you listen and well, I heard some friends this morning talking about a problem they noticed on the playground that there's a lot of trash on the playground. Hmm. What can we do about that? And it's a lot of discussion and collaboration um, about how to solve that problem. And then, you incorporate your standards through doing those sorts of projects and problem solving. Oh, wow. So it's okay. a lot of workshop base, a lot of, I'm going to teach a little bit and you are going to practice a lot. I'm going to facilitate. You're going to teach each other. And then we're going to come back and close it out. Oh, that's really cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the projects that they do, you know, these solutions to problems that they encounter, you know, in their lives, are they collaborative? Do they do they work together? Are some of them independent where they're working by themselves? How does that work? It's very collaborative. And, you know, we're actually going through a big sort of realignment, redefinition of applied learning so that all of the applied learning campuses can sort of be on the same page. We can hopefully extend it out to other campuses as well. Gotcha. Um, there is a difference between a little project and a big project because mm-hmm. a project can go anywhere from a few days to a few weeks to a few months. Right. 
typically it's very collaborative. Um, students will even form committees. The project sort of really gets off its feet. Mm-hmm. In my classroom, we just did a little library re- reorganization project. We sort mm-hmm. of brought up the, it's really hard to find books about certain categories. What can we do about that? And we had meetings together about, well, what can we do? And we voted on ideas and, um, you know, kind of would stop our day and say, okay, let's work on our library project. And they would pull out all of the books and they let it. They mm-hmm. talked to each other. Well, I think this book should go into this basket and not this basket. Well, why do you think that? Did you discuss it with some of your friends? What do they think? So it's a lot of working together, really teaching them how to be part of a team Mm. and to practice in leadership roles, even as young as kindergarten and first grade. Oh, wow. No, that's really cool. And it sounds like, you know, just from the examples you've given that in first grade, a lot of the problems that they're addressing are kind of at the classroom level. Uh, as the kids get older, if they continue in this approach to learning, do their problems tend to expand out like to school, community, uh, country, environment, you know, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Even even younger kids. Um, my class a couple of years ago just was really concerned about how much trash there was in the playground. Hmm. And so we did some research into, well, what are ways that we can protect the environment? What do these materials do to the environment? And, you know, it all ties into our standards that we were learning about natural resources and soil and the water cycle and those sorts of things. And they decided that they wanted to start a little clean up the playground campaign. Mm. And so they wrote speeches and they wrote um, persuasive posters and put around the school, went on the announcements, walked around and announced to classes, collected materials. They wrote letters home to their parents saying, we need gloves, we need trash bags, we need um, those long pinchers to pick up trash and receive donations. And then at the end of the day, twice a week, we would go out to the playground and collect trash. We would count it and we would um, find ways to dispose of it. So even in, in young grades, you can sort of do even something big. Wow. Yeah. Make a big difference in your, in your world. You know, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just in hearing you talk about that, I think that one of the really cool outcomes with this kind of learning is that the kids learn to pay attention to what's going on around them. Absolutely. It's very, very much the big thing about applied learning is that everything is for an authentic audience. Mm -hmm. Even when we're doing writing, it's not, you're not writing this for me, the teacher, you're going to write this for readers we're going to put your books in our classroom library and other friends are going to read them, or we're going to walk our books down the hallway to the kindergartners and we're going to share our stories with them. It's all about an authentic audience. You're not writing this for me. You're not writing this for your parents. You're not writing this for a grade. You're doing this because it affects somebody else. Oh, wow. That's really great. Well, yeah. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we've got this generation of applied learners, you know, so when they finally get into the position where they're the, the leaders in our community and leaders in, in our nation, you know, they're, 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 they're able to bring those skills with them to, to pay attention to what's going on and see the impact of, of people's choices on, you know, other people and, and make those kinds of decisions. I just think that's really awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the hope. It was actually designed off of asking business people, what are the skills that adults need to thrive in careers? Mm -hmm. And it kind of was a a backwards design approach of 
what do they need? Well, how do we start to embed that into an elementary school curriculum? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's always been, you know, as a as a teacher now in, in higher education, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily a complaint, but an observation I have is just how many students come to class and they have this kind of orientation of, you know, you're the professor, you tell me what to do. Even something like writing a paper, like, you know, have you started your paper? Well, you haven't told me what to do yet, right? You know, and I can mm -hmm. see like, you know, how this kind of flips it. It's not always just being waiting to be told what to do, but looking around and saying, you know, what needs to be done? Absolutely. And, My philosophy is answer every question with another question. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's frustrating to kids at first when they ask, well, my pencil's broken. What should I do? Mm -hmm. hmm, that sounds like a problem. What do you think you could do to solve it? And then they start to realize, oh, I, I don't have to ask a question about every little thing. I can, I can start to solve things on my own because right. I'm independent. That's great. Mm -hmm. Well, good. You know, and if, if this is really successful, I'm going to have you come and, you know, live in my house for a week with my two teenage sons. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some of this will start to rub off on them. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is, this is really awesome, Allie. I just love hearing about uh, these kinds of, you know, innovative approaches to learning. And when you think about it, you know, it's, it's, it's innovative just because not a lot of schools are doing it, but it just makes so much sense that this is part of the, the kind of thing we should be training students to do is think for themselves, to look around, to see what needs to be done and, and to have the, the skills and the tools to know how to, uh, how to do it, how to approach it. I just think it's great. Absolutely. And I think a big part of why I fell in love with applied learning is it's very much the philosophy that's taught at TCU. Mm -hmm. Um, is to teach kids to be independent and teach kids to be thinkers and problem solvers. And essentially at its core, it's, it's just best practices in teaching. Yes. Um, it has this kind of umbrella title over it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really just best practices that ideally should be in every classroom everywhere. No, that's awesome. Yep. Now, uh, kind of related to that, you know, because I was just reading up on on your school and some of the things that are going on there. I, I saw on your website that you also have a new outdoor learning environment um, on your campus. Now, so is this similar to a school garden? Um, is it an outdoor classroom or is it something completely different? Tell us a little bit about that that outdoor learning uh, environment that you have. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an outdoor classroom, really. Um, mm -hmm. A few years ago, several faculty members and community members, they put out a whiteboard. There's a whole whiteboard outside. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like weatherproofed. And there are little stumps and stones for all the kids to sit on. So it's really just an environment where you can get out of your classroom, but still be in a productive learning environment. Gotcha. And um, we'll a lot of the times go out there when we're studying things like soil or plants and do observations, or if you just bring anything outside and you can write on the whiteboard and the kids can sit on the little stumps and the stones and do their work. Yeah. And it's a really neat way just to learn in a different spot. Oh, that's really cool. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, and I imagine that, you know, the teachers who use that outdoor space, you know, it takes a little bit of getting used to because, you know, especially uh, younger kids many times associate the outdoors with, with play. And I'm not saying that, you know, play isn't part of the teaching environment, but uh, you know, it may take some getting used to that, you know, you're out of the classroom, that control and uh, just doing the learning in a different in a different place. But, you know, I think I just really love uh, the idea of getting kids outside. Just there's so many um, physical and mental benefits that come from being outside, from being exposed to nature. And so I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of setting up of expectations, though, before you 
make your way out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they don't just start playing tag every time you go to the outdoor classroom. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, kind of looking back um, on your own uh, trajectory as a teacher, you know, what led you into this career? Is this something that you chose from the beginning? Um, or, you know, is it something you decided on a little bit later after you got into college? You know, what was your kind of your trajectory into the teaching uh, profession uh, before you became a teacher? You know, I am one of those kids who just was always going to be a teacher. Hmm. I mean, before I went to school, I was playing school. I have, uh, there are photos of me with all my little stuffed animals lined up. I'm holding an upside down book. I don't know a single word out of that book, but Hmm. I'm reading it to them. Um, and that was just always, I always loved school. I've always loved learning and reading and writing. Um, you know, there was definitely times in middle school, high school where I thought, well, maybe I want to do something else. Maybe I don't want to be a teacher, but I just always gravitated toward wanting to work with kids and wanting to educate people. Cause if I love something, I want to be able to help other people love it too. And I love to learn and I love to read and I love to write and I, I want to help other people learn that as well. So teaching is just kind of my, it's just my thing. (laughs) That's really cool. And did you have uh, other teachers in your family who you were able to like observe and learn from? My mom is an adjunct college professor. Okay. So also definitely a different group of students. Yeah. (laughs) She's kind of scared of little kids and I'm kind of scared of big kids. (laughs) Um, But definitely just that idea of I want to help people understand this in a way that's going to be engaging and fun. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's really cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember when I was young, I thought that teaching would just be the coolest job ever. I thought, you know, how cool it'd be. Like, I get to be the one up there writing on the chalkboard, right? And I think Mm -hmm. it was like, like you said, maybe middle school or high school when I look around at my classmates and I'd be like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. Like, I don't want to have to <laughs> yeah. deal with like people that are acting like my friends are acting like right now. Right. So, yeah. But, you know, we always we, we always kind of come back to uh, uh, what we what we love and what we want to do. So I think that's great. Um, you know, and in your years as a teacher, I know you've taught and interacted with a lot of students. You know, you've probably seen just about everything. You know, I would say some, you know, students that you encounter do really well in school. You know, some have a lot of challenges they have to work through. And so when you think about the students you've worked with, um, how do you measure your success as a teacher? That's a really good question. You know, I my what I kind of always say is that if my kids leave my classroom with a love of learning and a belief that learning is valuable Hmm. and accessible, then I, I've done my job. Um, if they're excited to come to school, that's a win. If they're excited to read, that's a win. Mm -hmm. Even if they open up the book and they don't know what any of the words are yet. Um, you do a lot of the power of yet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, and I think too, just every single year I learn so much more And there's always that going back of, oh, if I'd known this last year or if I'd known this strategy with that kid, um, it would have been so much more successful. Because there are definitely kids who like, oh, that was a success story. That was great. And absolutely kids I look back on and say, I don't know that I did the best for them that I could have. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of learning, um, a lot of 
things I've learned this year about dyslexia, for example. Mm. And now I'm thinking back and wow, there are so many kids that I let go through my classroom without ever putting in a referral or without ever keeping an eye on that because I just didn't know enough. Mm-hmm. Or kids who've experienced trauma. Um, I know a lot more now than I did when I started teaching and there were definitely better strategies that I could have used with kids who had experienced trauma in their lives. Um, So I just, I think it's hard to even measure, you know, success in terms of the kids, but mostly if they love learning, if they remember that being in your class was positive and that they enjoyed it, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the greatest measure of success. I, I tend to get stuck in, oh, you know, what's their reading skill? What's their phonics skill? What's their writing look like? Mm-hmm. What are the statistics saying? But I think kind of the ultimate measure of if you're a successful teacher is do your kids come to school excited about learning? Mm-hmm. Um, not, and I, that's not me saying that all of my kids come to school <laughs> really excited about learning every day. Yep. Because they don't always, but right. you know, if they leave saying I I can do it and I and I want to do it, then I think that's that's a big measure of success. No, absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. You know, I you know, and even if you've got that really reluctant kid who just doesn't like school, doesn't, you know, whatever you're trying to sell them, they're not buying it, you know. Oh. And um even if you can move needle the needle a little bit, you know, I think that's you know, looking back Sometimes you just have to measure your success in, in very small increments, you know, based on every kid because they're all they're all so different. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah, I I, I really like that. And, um, you know, you had mentioned, uh, you know, some of the things you've learned this year, you know, and looking back, you know, one day, you know, I'll have to go back and maybe clarify that, you know, this this the year that this interview was taking place was in the the great pandemic of 2020, 2021, right? Um, you know, someday we'll look back on it. And, um, you know, what kind of adjustments have you had to make uh, since uh, teaching and learning has has been altered so much because of the pandemic? I have made all of the adjustments. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah. It basically feels like that. Yeah. Um, well, at the beginning of the year, we did start all virtual and then kind of came in with some kids coming back in person, some mm-hmm. kids remaining virtual. So there was a lot of um, a technology learning curve, which was not easy. However, now I know all of these really cool programs that I can use in the classroom that don't have to be just for virtual mm-hmm. um, for kids to be self-paced through something or which now my district is actually one-to-one. So every child has a Chromebook, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um and so things that I can do up on the smart board and then project onto their computers and learn that way. And so I've learned a lot of really cool technology pieces. Um, yeah. Pear Deck is a big program that we've used mm-hmm. and has been really cool. I think probably the number one thing that I focused on this year was social emotional learning. Mm. Um, and I'm so glad that I did because this has been one of the most enjoyable classes I've ever had. Mm. And I really think that that's why. Is we really focused on um, just how we can express our feelings and how we can do that safely. And it's okay to have feelings, but it's not okay to express them in this way. Here's a safer way you can do it. Um, How can we interact with others in an appropriate way? How do we solve our problems together? 
And that's just been a really big piece that I will continue to incorporate in our, in my classroom. Hmm. Um, because it's just huge. Yeah. If kids come into your room, something happened the night before or that morning, or they're just feeling groggy or tired or something happened with a friend there, you can't move forward. You cannot educate a child who is not emotionally ready to learn. Right. And I think that's been something I knew, but not necessarily something that I did the best I could to solve, to act on. Yeah. Um, and it's just been really great to watch this group of kids be able to express how they feel. And I'm, I'm feeling frustrated. May I go to the calm down spot? Hmm. Um, you know, they know how to do that. And they also have learned a lot of empathy of, Oh, well, I, I noticed that this friend is upset. Is it okay if I bring them a calm down tool? Hmm. And, um, it's just, it, it's really, I think underrated a lot of the times, yeah. um, of incorporating that piece in your classrooms. And really it's, it's number one, because if you don't have that community and that trust, yeah. you can't get anywhere. And especially this year where these kids were at home for six months, nine months, some of them are still at home. Mm. Um, they kind of had to relearn how to interact with peers. And, you know, some kids are coming from really safe, happy home situations. And some of them spent many months in, really negative home situations. And, yeah. you know, that has to be a factor in your teaching. You have to know what your kids are coming in from and be able to teach them how to cope with that um, yeah. and how to express it in a way that's safe. Yeah. And so that's honestly the, other than, you know, all the academic tools and all the pivots we've made yeah. and there have been, you know, 485 of them <laughs> this week alone and it's Monday. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. But that's really the biggest thing I think that I did differently this year. Hmm. Just that, like, we need to spend 10 to 15 minutes a day minimum doing this. And, I mean, we did it last week. There was just a lot of kind of name calling and just unkind words. And so Hmm. I said, let's just, let's sit together and let's talk this out. How are we feeling? What are we noticing that's happening? Mm -hmm. How do we fix it? Um, because you just, if all the, if kids are upset, then you literally can't move forward. They can't learn. Yep. Um, and so that's been a really, really big piece that I've, that I've changed about my teaching style this year and put it better. Right. And probably something that will never go away. Absolutely. Never. Yeah. No. And that's, you know, Mm -hmm. like kind of going back to the applied learning model, like really focusing on, on those strategies and those tools for recognizing and and addressing and working through emotions, you know, that's something years down the line that, you know, hopefully those students will, will have a, a really good um, understanding of how to, you know, process their emotions and things that they're experiencing in a healthy way, you know? uh, So I think that's really, that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, self-regulation is hard for adults. So (laughs) (laughs) if we can teach our kids to self-regulate, then, hopefully we'll be setting all these people up for success as, as adults. No, absolutely. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. You know, maybe, and if the adults can, you know, just stop and listen, you know, maybe they'll learn something from the kids too. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and I think that's such an interesting contrast to kind of the traditional mentality of check your emotions at the door, just put your Mm -hmm. nose down and get to work, you know, don't let things bother you. And, um, 
you know, I think it just kind of sends a really unhealthy message, uh, not just to kids, but to people in general, you know, that, you know, you know, emotions are in the way they're invalid, you know, they're not part of me. There's something that we need to be gotten rid of. So I mm-hmm. think that's really, really great what you're doing with your, with your students. Mm-hmm. And is this a, a, a school-wide initiative or is this something that you researched and implemented on your own? A little bit of both. Okay. Um, definitely we did have extra trainings and things talking about social emotional learning, but I think sort of district-wide, school-wide, after the very beginning of the year, when I was like, these kids are coming in from all these months at home, we need to focus on social emotional learning to set the stage. And then it's kind of like, and now it kind of goes to the wayside. So I took it a lot upon myself to just go through trainings over the summer. And even as the school year goes on, keep Mm -hmm. looking for resources and finding things to make sure that it stays at the forefront. Yeah. You know, and now that we're moving into, okay, well, what, at what point do we need to stop and talk about the feeling? And at what point can we kind of say, I'm going to take a breath and let it go because there's learning to be done, Yeah. Um, you know, and sort of teaching them also not to stew in their feelings, yeah. like feelings aren't, you know, the center of everything that we're doing. You can be frustrated and also get your work done. Right. You know, so it's kind of this careful balance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, sometimes the being frustrated thing is the, is what actually motivates you to get the work done, you know, uh, but, but that's not always the case, especially maybe with first graders. But I just think about myself, you know, the more I procrastinate, the more I get frustrated, the more the deadlines looming, but, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, probably a little different than, than in first grade. But anyway, I'll probably edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually in first grade, it's more like, well, my friend told me that they, you know, their folder is cooler than mine. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, well, you know, I, I know that you're upset about that, but we can probably move on because that's not even what we don't even have our folders out right now. So it's it's not relevant. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, yeah. and, and for adults, it's not necessarily the folder. You know, it's the same exact phenomenon. It's just, you know, cars, houses, <laughs> right? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So there, that's always going to be there, you know, how, knowing how to process right. uh, that kind of thing. Well, that's really cool, you know, and so uh, a follow-up question, although I think it, you know, I guess it could be or maybe not related, but, you know, how do you think your students uh, describe you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would love to say organized, but I actually, funny enough, am the least organized in the classroom. My house is a lot more organized than my classroom. Oh, because I don't share my house with 26 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, well, a lot of my kids love to say, Missy, you're really weird, but I love you. Our <laughs> <laughs> kind of our like, you know, core phrase in the classroom is what is, what is my job to keep you safe? to help you learn because mm-hmm. I love you. And I mean, every single kid knows, like I can do that little back and forth with them. They know what words to fill in. Yeah. So my hope is that they would say that I'm loving yes. and that I I am excited about learning. I'm sure there'd be some other things that they would also say. Right. <laughs> Missy is so mean because she never lets me keep my Pokemon cards on my table. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's all the rage now again. Yeah. Which, you know, that just is mind boggling to me. You know, this is totally off subject. But, you know, when I was a fourth grade teacher back in in the mid to late 90s, 
Pokemon cards were a big thing and I would confiscate them all the time. And I had a drawer, I'd, I'd stick them in there and I'd tell the kid, you know, after school, you can get it. And most of the time they'd come back and get it because they are valuable. But there oh, are- they uh, will remember and they yes. know exactly which one that you took. <laughs> well, that, oh, they know for sure. Uh, but every once in a while, some kid would, you know, forget. And I was telling my own kids because they got back into Pokemon cards and they were like, I don't know, first, second, third grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. Had this huge notebook full of them and they'd trade them at recess and all that stuff. And I'll never forget telling them one time, you know, when I was a teacher a long time ago, I had a, a drawer full of Pokemon cards that kids never came back and, and got. And they were like, Dad, do you realize like if you had kept those, those could be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And I was like, well, you know, I I didn't have a time machine. I can't go back and change it. I didn't understand it. I just thought they were, you know, just toys that they played with. So right. that's so funny that Pokemon's still a thing. I know. I mean, talk about a long lasting like game. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no, it's uh had had we all known, you know, back in the nineties to buy stock in Pokemon. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, there's one Pokemon book in our classroom library and it is like coveted on book shopping days. <laughs> wow, that is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm pretty sure my own kids would have been looking for it too. That's yeah. So yeah, that's really funny. Um, so kind of, you know, my last question here is, um, if you had one piece of advice to give a young teacher or maybe like the students that I taught and the students you worked with when you worked with me that year as an accelerated master student, the ones who were even thinking about teaching, you know, what would be, um, a piece of advice that you would give someone as they're starting their career? Set up routines and expectations. Um, I think that's a big, it's, it's one of my biggest challenges as a teacher for Mm. sure, because I think I went in so academically focused that I didn't realize just how much time needs to be spent establishing your classroom routines and creating a system of where do papers go? What happens if someone needs a pencil? What, how do we organize our day? How much time do we spend in each thing? How do we transition from this to this? Because, um, I mean, really you can lose hours and hours and hours by not having like a really firm routine where the kids know, Oh, when I finish this, I put it here and then I go to do this and then I can get this from here. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you keep that really tight and they know what to expect, it also gives them a lot of security. Um, and you too, Mm -hmm. if the kids know, and you know exactly what's coming next every single day, Mm -hmm. it's huge, especially for any kids who, um, have any sort of um, special needs or, um, you know, trauma at home or anything like that, those kids need to know what to expect. And as a teacher, you'll feel more calm if you know every single day we do, you know, we do our phonics, we do our reading, we do our writing, and that's our routine. If I'm going to change the routine, I let them know. Hmm. Um, and I mean, it sounds like kind of a trivial piece of advice, I think, mm-hmm. but it's truly the like backbone of your classroom. Yeah. Um, setting up routines also for and expectations for that social emotional piece of hmm. how do we solve our problems? How do we do it safely? How do we express the way that we feel? Um, just really, I mean, sitting down before you start the school year or midway through the school year and mm-hmm. saying, what do I want this portion of the day to look like? What are all of the pieces? That what will the kids need? What will I need? Where will those things go? How are we going to transition to it? And doing that for every single part of the day and then practicing it 
until you never want to practice it again. Mm -hmm. Um, And it won't be as fun for you. And the kids won't necessarily think it's super fun to practice what it looks like to line up calmly and quietly, but it will save hours. And then they know exactly what to expect. It minimizes any kind of disruptive behaviors or problems because there's not this idle time when, you know, kids are wandering around the classroom and idle time where you're trying to figure out what to do. It, I mean, it just makes everything smoother. Oh, yeah, Which is not absolutely. to say if you walk in my classroom and it's always smooth because it's not. Right. Um, but that's one of those things that every single year, okay, what routines can I make better? Because the routine is down, the expectations are clear. Mm-hmm. You can just teach and they get to learn and no one's stressed out about it. Yep. No, that's really good advice. You know, I was talking not that long ago with a a friend of mine who I, we used to coach high school soccer together. And I asked him, you know, I asked him, you know, how do you feel success as a coach? Like, how do you know you've, you've done your job right? And he said, um, that once the game starts, I don't have to tell them what to do. They know exactly what to do. They know where to stand. They know their positions. They know what, and, uh, I think it's very similar to a classroom. You know, you get a real rhythm to your day. If the students know what to do, you know, because I've always told, you know, my students who are going to go on and be teachers one day, you know, for everything that has to get done during the day, either the students can do it themselves or you have to tell them to do it. And if you're constantly telling them to do everything, I mean, that's exhausting, yeah. you know, and, and, and kind of, you know, potentially leads to burnout. So no, I think that's great advice. Oh, yes. If there's a routine that the kids can take control of. Oh, let them do it. Yeah. Let them do it wrong <laughs> 50 times in a row. And then have them redo it 50 times in a row and eventually they will get it. And then it's off your shoulders. Right. No, absolutely. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. I don't want to take uh, too much more of your time, but I really, really appreciate you giving me some time during your day, your busy work day to, to talk with me. Um, and it's just been a lot of fun hearing what you've been up to. You know, I uh, saw you and the first time I met you was as a freshman in my intro to education class, then you worked for me for a year as my, my TA. And now it's just amazing to see how you've, you know, become the the amazing teacher. I always knew you were going to be, and you're out there doing it and you're, you're, you know, still at the same school and just having a, a great impact on the lives of your students. So, you know, thank you for, for letting me share a little bit of that, uh, for, uh, just a little while today. Well, thank you so much. Was, I'm honored to be asked and happy to share advice because I mean, teaching's hard. I think it, there's this misconception of oh, I'll be a teacher because it's easy and that's it's just not the case. So I think as much advice and much mentoring as you can get, get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I think this is a great thing you're doing for your students and future teachers to get advice from current teachers. That's huge. Yep, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you uh, passing it, passing it on, paying it forward, whatever the, whatever the expression is. I really appreciate it, Allie. And it was great. It was great talking to you. Absolutely great to talk to you too.